The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hello, Refuge. <clears throat> to follow up on the announcement for the five-minute break, <clears throat> which... Carrie so hilariously gave. Um, actually, and I, I will say, I do. I have vivid memories growing up. Uh, I, I would get a case of the giggles often. I remember my mother having me run around the, the tree in the front yard until I stopped laughing once. So, um, yeah. And I was a collegiate runner later in life, so... I would just encourage you parents to uh, use that as a form of punishment. Um, <laughs> so the five-minute break, uh, I realized at the, the first gathering that is, uh, it was getting announced, I, I had kind of a, a, an emotional reaction to it, even though I was the one who kind of first brought it to the team and said, hey, what do you think about us um, taking that part out? And the reason for it, really is there's these moments that I've had, and I would say even more frequently recently, where we'll have our time of, of singing of worship, and I will be really resting in God in a way that I wasn't during the week, and I just feel very present, and then, and then all of a sudden we transition to announcements in a five-minute break, and I, I have to socialize, um, which is hard sometimes when you're in this place of rest, and so we just wanted to say, hey, let's, let's, if you're there, if you're resting into the presence of God, let's just keep, keep that going into a time of studying his word together. And probably the, the biggest hesitation we had was that sometimes five-minute break for us is a time that we get to meet new people who come. Um, well, new people come early. And so if you really want to meet new people, come early. Okay. <laughs> I told the first gathering, I'm calling your bluff on this one. <laughs> if, you're, if you say, well, I'm, you know, I just I want to meet new people really bad. Well, wake up five minutes earlier. <laughs> just get here. Um, and we'll enjoy your company and coffee earlier. So uh, we are in Isaiah this week. And the reason for that is we knew the, the kids were going to be sitting in with us, and we thought, let's hit the major prophets. <laughs> I'm joking. If you're in our reading plan, you'll know that we were in First and Second Kings until Wednesday, and then Thursday we started into Isaiah. Well, uh, let me explain this for us. If, if we're reading our traditional, uh, you know, the, the Greek Old Testament that was kind of put together, Later, after, after Jesus rose from the dead, and then you have the early church, and the Greek Old Testament went this way. You have the book of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then it goes into books of history, and then you go from the books of history into books of poetry, and then to the books of prophecy. And that's, if you just open up your Bible that you're holding in your hand, that's the way you're going to see it flow, which is challenging because it, it takes away... The, 
the prophets from the law, and if, you, if you're reading in the New Testament, you get into the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it often refers to the law and prophets because those were held together in traditional Hebrew scriptures. And so the way it went was you got the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you jump into the, called the early prophets, which started in Joshua and then Judges, and that would go to kings, and then you would jump into the latter prophets, which started with Isaiah through the minor prophets. And the reason those were held together was because it held the context together. As you're reading the stories of, of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and, and the prophets that are coming, then you get to hear the voice of the prophets connected together. Does that make sense to you? So, so that's why we're jumping and following the Read the Scripture app and, and the way we're going, we're kind of following the traditional Hebrew way of reading the text. So the prophets are, are kind of scary getting into, and, and I know some of us probably weren't ready for it. And so to help us dive into that, I want to talk about three reasons that the prophets are hard to read. Three reasons that as you're reading them, you might find them challenging. Okay, hopefully this is helpful. It was helpful for me to think through this. The first reason is that these prophets wrote in songs and poetry. Right? What you're reading isn't just narrative. It's not stories. You're reading poetry. You're reading songs. And a lot of classic literature was written like this. If you, know, if you think of Homer, Iliad, the Odyssey, even think of, you move your way forward and you get Dante's Inferno or you get Milton's Paradise Lost. Even up to, to current, as we interact with poetry and we find it so challenging, this last week I thought, you know, let's bring it current day, Kendrick Lamar. Anyone familiar with Kendrick Lamar? Okay, first hip-hop artist to ever win a Pulitzer for music this last week. Groundbreaking. Pulitzers for music have only been given to jazz artists and classical artists, but but Kendrick Lamar was given it. Kendrick Lamar is an insanely talented artist. But it's interesting, I was thinking, if probably a lot of us in this church were to pull up Kendrick Lamar's newest album, which he won the Pulitzer for, which I can't say the name of because Aaron would have to bleep me out, literally, we would think, I don't get it. And because I don't get it, it's not good, even though it's so insightful into culture for today. Let me read to you uh, uh, The Economist. It's a magazine, if you're not familiar. uh, And what I thought was wonderful about this article is they call him Mr. Lamar. Um, which he he is, I just have never heard him referred to that way before. Mr. Lamar invites us to eavesdrop as he confesses to a host of sins, pride, lust, greed, anger, hypocrisy, as well as his fear of being judged by his fire and brimstone God. Hip-hop is still a genre that that revels in braggadocio and conspicuous consumption, and Lamar is no different from his peers. He understands temptation, but where some rappers look in the mirror and see playboy gangsters, Lamar sees a sinner, tormented by his success and by responsibility to those less fortunate than he is. His great talent is how with blazing lines he makes us feel the heat of hellfire. Kendrick Lamar, just won a Pulitzer for music. This is amazing. 
And yet a lot of us, because we don't get it, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to go out and listen to this album. You, honestly, you probably won't get it. I don't fully get it. But, but it is so talented and it's such a good social commentary. Okay? And so we've experienced the same thing as we, we listen to and read the, the prophets of the Old Testament. We don't get it. And so we think it's not good. And yet that isn't correct. Because what we get in the prophets is... Songs about the collapse of a covenant between God and his people. That is the the overarching theme of the prophets. Where God is the writer and producer of the album. Right? So that's why we're calling this sermon God's Mixtape. Because that that literally is what the prophets are. Is God? How many of you guys have made mixtapes? How many of you know what cassettes are? Okay, that's good. Okay, because back in the day, we made mixed tape. And this isn't like duct tape. It's like these little things that, um, look it up. Um, so it makes us ask this question, who is this artist God, right? Not just God who's telling stories, but God who's making art, right? An artist God. And and we we see this later described in the book of Second Peter, which says this, we also have the prophetic message as something reliable. And, and when you hear this, I, I want you, prophetic poetry, prophetic song. We have this prophetic song as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, do you read this, these prophets, as a light, Right? These guys are, are, are literally holding out a light in a dark place until the day dawns, until Jesus comes, right? And the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. They weren't making this stuff up. They weren't just seeing it and trying to call it like it was. They were moved by God. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we would do well to tune our hearts and and try to wrestle with these texts. And so we hear what God is saying. We hear what God himself is inspiring as they write these songs. The second thing is this. The second challenge we have is that the songs are separated from their stories. The songs are separated from their stories. And think of it in this way, that the commentary, which is what they're doing, they're, they're producing commentary on what's happening in their culture at the time. Commentary is, is separated from the context within which it was spoken. And that's, that's why we're holding these together, kings going into the book of Isaiah. What we see here is a divided nation, Judah and Israel. We see Assyria coming in and and capturing Israel, and then over a hundred years later, right, this is a big scope of time, over a hundred years later, then Babylon comes and they, they capture Judah, and they take Judah away, and we have good kings and we have bad kings in this time. That's the context that the prophets are giving commentary of. And so think about that context, because then itself, well, the third really challenging thing, I think, with the prophets is that these are songs of destruction, Predominantly, these are songs of judgment and songs of destruction. And not, not completely, we're going to talk about that, but, 
but we wrestle with that because we see the destruction. But, but think of it this way. Think of the songs that are being written in Israel and Palestine today. I tell you what those songs aren't. They don't sound like it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, right? They don't sound like I love you, you love me, we're happy. No, we aren't, right? Like that's not what's, what's getting produced in Israel and Palestine today is songs that are grappling with people in conflict, people killing one another, and they're wrestling with those themes. So just because you're not in that context, that's where they were here. Very similar. And so when we were reading, like, I don't like reading about destruction. That's okay. I don't like destruction. But, but the, it's the reality of the context that the prophets are speaking into. Do you get that? This last week I was reading in the newspaper and there was this picture of three Palestinian men holding one another and weeping because one of their relatives had died. I'm not, I'm not making political commentary. I'm just, we're just talking about this picture of just three guys weeping because their relative had died, okay? And, and it could have been Israelites doing the same thing, right? But, but I was just thinking, wow, like what song would be produced there, right? And, and that's what we're hearing is these songs produced from places of grief, themes of destruction. And, and so as we read the prophets don't try to place them somewhere else. It's not like they're, they're stepping into Bremerton talking to us, right? They're stepping into a time where Assyria is taking Israel away and spreading them throughout an empire. And Babylonians are coming in and doing the same thing to Judah. And that's the context of the prophets. You guys with me? So the song that we're going to be looking at today is a love song. Okay, after all that, uh, <laughs> we're going to be getting into Isaiah 5 and, um, and seeing what God has to say in this love song. This is a traditional way that folk songs were written uh, during this period. And if you read the Song of Solomon, it starts very similarly to this. The, the voice that is being used here is the voice of Isaiah. He's the I. And he, he sings the song of, of one he loves, which is God. Isaiah loves God. And what's cool about this is, is that this is the hope of the Bible, right? When you read the Old Testament and, and you hear God say, this is what I want. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not just said in the New Testament. That's said in the Old Testament. God's desire for his relationship with people to be this. The lover and the loved, right? And so Isaiah's like, I love God. And so I'm going to sing a song about him. A song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a, on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it. And cut out a wine press as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And as we go on, I want you to notice that the Isaiah, it's it's sort of this dramatic shift. If you're thinking of Isaiah being on stage with the mic singing this song, all of a sudden, God grabs the microphone. And from this point on, God is the one who is speaking. And we move from this love song into a courtroom. So if we'll go on. It says, 
God, this is God speaking. I see in quotes, now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. Right? We've, all of a sudden we're like, wait, I thought we were talking about this love song. And now God's saying, now judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? And this is the big question we're going to be asking you today. What more could God have done? And, and the way I phrased it for you guys is, has God failed? And God is asking us to consider that. God isn't, he, this isn't a rhetorical question right away. He's just saying, you know, I'm going to ask you. Because sometimes what comes up in our heart is we're reading this and we're seeing destruction. Maybe even in our own lives we say, God, you failed me. And so God is asking the question. He says, have I failed you? What have I not done for you? And, and before we move on, I want you to think, what has God done? What would we ask of God for us to walk in faithfulness to him? And, as I, and I, as I thought about this, I was thinking, okay, if, if we were just bef- clean slate to ask God for something that would allow us to walk in faithfulness with him, I think the first thing we'd ask for is, God, I need clear direction. We'd say, God, I need you to clearly say what it means to walk with you, Right? And we, we have that, okay? Like we literally have God who's come down, his presence, and he said, this is what it means. He gives the law, right? Detailing what it means to walk in faithfulness with him. He came down with his presence and he gave not just his word, but he really gave a clear vision of what it meant. He said, and if you follow me in faithfulness, it'll go well for you. It literally is like a a this equals this. You walk in faithfulness with me and it will go well for you. So God has done that. What what has he not done for us? What, What more would we ask of him? And I think what it comes down to is what we'd ask him to do is literally take away every challenge. Like we would, we would ask for no hard decisions, no time in our life would it be follow God or you have this other option. We would, we would want to take out all the options as if there would still be love involved in that decision to follow him, right? What has God not done for us? But when I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedges and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. These are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. And this is, I want, I want to focus on this. He looked for justice. God looked for, to reward justice. He looked for righteousness to reward righteousness but he didn't see those things and what I thought is how we how entitled we feel sometimes right where we're like but God just keep at it like like keep giving mercy keep giving grace keep doing it and yet we look at this and and the note I put in my bible as I was studying this passage was this is this a place to keep investing in right like if, if you see a land that's cultivated it's been loved and cared for and tended, but all it gives is bad fruit. It's like, is this the place to keep investing in? And that's a very 
It's a very sobering thought. This love song of a God who delights in his people, right? The people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He delighted in them and he gave them his best and what they needed to walk in faithfulness with him. So what's happened? What do we do with this? Well, remember, this is one track on the album. This is one track on the album. Sometimes when we're, when we're reading the prophets and we hear these songs, we're like, we're like, man, we get caught in these things that are, it seems like they're changing. But this is where the big idea is that in the midst of these things around us that are changing and hurtful and there's destruction over and above everything, God is creating something that cannot be changed. And so right prior to this, right, this is chapter five. We're gonna read in chapter four. Listen to the track on the album right before this. And this is how it goes. In the day, the branch of the Lord, see branch is capitalized here. And one of the reasons for that is because what is taught later, we'll talk about the, the root that springs up from the line of Jesse, right? And we have Emmanuel, God with us. We have these, these views of Jesus in the Old Testament. It says, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. And in context to that, right before this in verse one, it was talking about how the women are leading them in, in Isaiah he will cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over, listen, this is so good, over everything the glory will be a canopy. Over everything the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and the rain. So what we see is God has given us a lot and, and a lot, lot to screw up on, right? And so I think as we read it and we, we read these stories of the scripture and we're like, God, you've made a covenant with us and we break that covenant, right? God, you've invited us into your goodness and just what I find as I approach your goodness is that I discover in me a lack of goodness, right? And as we see these things that I am changing, we see a God who's creating a canopy of glory over us, this theme over the prophets, this theme over scripture of what God is doing. This canopy of glory. And and this, this is the context as you read all the prophets is this that there is strife and there is destruction. And even as you look around at the world today and you see animosity and you see destruction in our world today, you see shortages of water and you see places without education, you see people literally killing each other. You see, man, it was in the United States recently, people were just caught for wanting to blow up a mosque. Like you just see these things going on. This, this is what's going on. We are hurting one another. And that's what you see here. But over these things, over these things is a God who does not change. You and I, we change. Uh, you and our relationships change. 
right? Honestly, you could be here this week and then sometime during the week, literally, you could just be like, I was stoned like Daniel, right? And you could just take off. Like, that's, that happens. But over everything, we have a God who does not change and his promise and his covenant of love is consistent. And so what, what I want to invite you into this week is this, to ask the question of Isaiah 5, has God failed you? Has God failed you? And, and as you answer this question, this is not an easy question because some of you might have a long list. And what you might be is angry at God. And you might, you might think God has failed you in this world where there is strife, there's animosity, and, and there's death, and there's all these things. Has God failed you? And I invite you to enter into that conversation. God is not scared of that question. Because over all this, over all this, over all our wrestling and our anger and our our figuring out relationships with one another, figuring out how to have hard conversations, right? Over all that, God is creating a canopy of glory. Because what I find at the end of the day is this. What I find at the end of the day is this. We're going to go into a time of baptism. Walter's going to get baptized. So pumped for this. Is that this canopy of glory came down and was present. In John 1, this is what it says. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only. Because he became flesh and dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. This canopy of glory came down and we have seen him. And what we remember in baptism is that glory was killed by our hatred, was killed by our anger, was killed by us trying to figure out how to win. He was killed. But in his death, all that sin, all the things we do to one another was buried with him. And so in his life, in his resurrection, we can be completely free completely free and participate in his glory. That presence that God's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just have this over you. And he's like, and I'm gonna invite you into that. That that is what we remember. We remember through baptism. The death and resurrection of Jesus, where literally God is is taking us out and saying, You, I'm gonna make you participants in that glory. Something you can't do for yourself. Something you can't do for yourself because you know what, what we do for ourselves frustration right (laughs) like there are moments where I think I'm okay right you know you know I'm at and and then like I'm like okay for a week and then I just wake up and I'm like I'm not okay right but over me uh, over me is this canopy of glory that God has created that is not inconsistent like I'm consistent but, but he is and he's invited us into that And the beautiful thing is this, and Walter and I talked a lot about this. It's not about what just happens now. That canopy is eternal, right? It's this eternal promise he has for us that it's not just temporary, but it is forever. And so as I pray for us, has God failed you? Ask him that. Wrestle with him through that. And here's invitation to participate in his life. Because that's what he has for you. So let me pray for us.
And Father, I, just, I think as I'm preaching just how overwhelming the news is sometimes. Every day there's something new to process, laugh at, be afraid of. Our, our world is so dynamic. I love this picture of you just by your own will, your own love, your own power creating this canopy of glory that just stretches over us. It's consistent, not changing because it's built on your character and who you are. That under that camp of glory, we have, the, we have the safety to ask hard questions and ask them directly of you. You invite that. God, we live in a place and among a people that there is not justice and there is not righteousness so often. We've lived in a land that is good and fertile, but we oftentimes produce bad fruit, like this love song talked about. God, we need you so badly and we thank you for Jesus again that our dead hearts can become alive in him. The ways we've hurt others, the way we've been angry at you, God, we can find freedom and forgiveness. I pray that you'll give us ears to hear this again today. And for some of us, maybe return to a relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen.